This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. My name is Rich Bradbury. As usual, I'm joined on the phone lines by Arif Ruse. He's that man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, everybody. And over there somewhere else in the ether is Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Richard. Hello, Arif. And hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us this evening. As usual, a show in three parts today. We'll be starting off with some little bits of news, uh, moving on to a bit of a pit stop as we all take a nice tasty tea break, uh, wrapping up with a used car review at the end of the show. It's a Mark VI Volkswagen Golf GTI. Ooh. Big car, big car. Indeed. Arif, kick us off then. What have we got? So, news but not so news. As you may know, if you've been following any sort of motoring journalists over the weekend, the Goodwood Festival of Speed has come and gone. And if you don't know what that is, it is essentially, to me, because I've been watching it over the weekend, essentially an automotive and motorsport nirvana. It is fabulous and it's fantastic. You get to see all. It's basically a gathering and celebration of the greatest mostly European cars of the world. So you get to see stuff from the past, like an old Mercedes from the early 1900s, you know, Mm -hmm. the ones that sound like they're farting all the time. (laughs) And then you have the old F1 cars, like Brabham, BT1s, driven by some legendary racing drivers as well. And obviously the LMP1 cars of the past. And then recently also, lots of car manufacturers have taken the Goodwood Festival as an opportunity to launched some new cars. So we saw the new Toyota GR86 that was launched. Pretty cool car. We spoke about it as well. Last week, we talked about the uh, Lotus Emira and the Lotus Evija. They were the headlining uh, performers of the Goodwood Festival. Starting to sound a bit like Glastonbury at the moment. But uh, mm. <laughs> uh, there's some various GT3 race cars that went around. And I think what people are saying, the most important car for the future of racing is something called the McMurty Spearling. The McMurty Spearlink. It probably mentioned, uh, spoken like that. <laughs> and what it is, is essentially the fastest and loudest car, electric car ever built. And everybody's sort of touting this as like the future of motorsport because, you know, when internal combustion engines die out, they've all got to be replaced by uh, electric cars. And even debuted in, in the Goodwood was the first ever Le Mans uh, prototype car powered by hydrogen. So... We mm. might be seeing that racing in the next couple of years or so. This McMurty thing looks like something out of Batman. <laughs> it does, right? I don't think this, all this will be racing in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't think so. I know people are moving fast forward with this e-motorsports and all that, but it just... No, not in my lifetime. Really? Yep. I expect it happening pretty quick, you know. Well, you know, my life could end next year. Oh, <laughs> My word. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, Daniel. Come on. Let's <laughs> try and be a bit more positive. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, Goodwood, just a little background because I found this pretty interesting. This festival started back in 1993 by a man called Lord March. And he was the 11th Duke of Lennox and Richmond. Very fancy guy. Uh, he was the grandson of a very famous estate owner, I guess. And he started this in 1993 because he wanted to bring back the Goodwood races Mm -hmm. where his grandfather built the Goodwood circuit back in 1948. So 1993, he 
couldn't get a permit to race. So he decided to hold it on his massive Goodwood estate where there was this little hill climb. And he managed to organize about, I think it was 2,000 or 2,500 cars in the first year. And over 250,000 people eventually turned up in the next five years or so. Mm. And today, it attracts over 150,000 people over three days of a weekend. So it's very much like Glastonbury. Um, it has a collection of vintage and rare cars that you can see in a field. Obviously, the infamous Goodwood Hill Climb time trials, where I think in 2003, Nick Heidfeld, a former Formula One driver, set the fastest time of 41 seconds or something like that. And that record was recently beaten by an electric Volkswagen ID3 by two seconds. So the future is already here, Daniel. Yeah, but you know, this is everyone talks about wonderful figures and you know everything else, but you know, no one is talking about refueling. So are they doing any battery swapping? Are those hydrogen stations going to be up in the racetracks if they're going to do a hydrogen car race? I mean, all this is still up in the air. I mean, the one-off models sound great. Mm. perform great but as a race there's a lot of infrastructure are all the racetracks going to have hydrogen stations or battery swapping stations okay i leave it at that you know from super high tech they also have this low tech thing where uh something called the soapbox challenge there you go daniel that's right down your street yes right down your street and it also goes downhill because it's a race for gravity powered cars Mm. very interesting to see i'm sure uh haven't found a video of that on youtube but If you are a car or motorsport enthusiast, or if you're wondering why people are so obsessed with cars, just go on YouTube, search Goodwood Festival of Speed, and you could spend hours, as I did over the weekend, doing nothing but watching these videos of cars going around. Also, Lord March, right? Have you ever seen a photograph of Lord March? No. Um, He looks like a cross between uh, the guy who plays House. Oh, yes, I know who that is, yes. Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie, yes. If if you take Hugh Laurie, and what's that other British actor who's in uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral? And um, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, okay. (laughs) You you take Hugh Grant and Hugh Laurie, squish them together, you've got Lord March. Yep, Ah. yep, yep. You are spot on, man. Spot on. (laughs) He lives in this enormous mansion, but anyway. There okay, I've just Googled him, and he looks yeah. a lot like you, Richard. Please! Oh, no. <laughs> Richard's uh, days of his long, luscious hair has disappeared. Yes, sadly. Well, actually, no, during this time of pandemic, my long, luscious hair is, in fact, coming back. Okay, okay. <laughs> and that's not through choice, but, but there you go. Okay, should we move on? Uh, let's, let's talk about some um, Subarus. Yes, because they've hit quite an important or rather quite an interesting milestone. Mm. Uh, a production milestone of 20 million Subaru all-wheel drive cars. And it's quite important because Subaru's all-wheel drive, it's, uh, it's special. They're known for the symmetrical all-wheel drive system, which essentially is a drivetrain with equal length half axles, if that doesn't sound complicated enough. Um, when paired with the Subaru's flat pack boxer engine, you essentially get a car with a really low center of gravity that results in excellent handling, excellent steering, and balance, which is often a word used to describe uh, Subarus. You are very right, and these cars are legendary, but what is even more legendary is fact, you know, 20 million all-wheel drive. Now, 20 million cars is not really a lot when you talk about car manufacturers that are, that are bigger, because... Subaru is one of the smallest car manufacturers in the world. Mm. But 20 million all-wheel drive cars, I think the big boys who play with the all-wheel drive technology are not even close to that figure. Because why? They have a whole range of non-four-wheel drive vehicles. But Subaru, nearly everything is all-wheel drive. Mm. 
Yep. So they introduced the system first back in 1972 mm. with the Subaru Leon four-wheel drive estate, and it kind of, uh, I guess, gained a global recognition due to the World Rally Championship. Yes, and this car came to Malaysia, you know? Really? Yes, a small handful came to Malaysia with four-wheel drive and without four-wheel drive. The non-four-wheel drive versions were sedans. i tell you what else pushed this forward, believe it or not. It was video games. Colin McRae's uh, World Rally Championship. Yes. Yeah. Of course, and uh, it was the poster boy for for that for so many years. And you know, Colin McRae, legendary racing driver. Yeah, full stop. That's all you need to say. Right. But uh, this, you know, due to the WRC, due to the appearance in in, in video games and popular car culture, really, um, it became really well loved by people who lived out in the country or or in the suburbs. So all over the world in uh, harsh harsher climates and conditions, like you know, the African deserts, the Aussie outbacks. Uh, Canadian winters, all of those things. People love them for its toughness, simplicity. Yeah. They, these cars were super dependable and easy to mend. And nowadays, the reality is that people are starting to refer to Subarus as you know the ultimate four-wheel drive car, mainly because people are buying them, taking them and modifying them, putting big wheels uh, and going into the jungle with all of them, more so than uh, SUVs, actually. Mm. Mm. But sadly, the Subaru all-wheel drive will not outsell a pickup truck. Yeah. It's more niche, isn't it? Yeah, it is very niche. But you see, in a lot of countries, say like, for example, America, pickup trucks are big. But the Americans still want to have a pickup truck over a wagon, all-wheel drive. Because that whole idea of just chucking everything in the back and it's so easy and you know, you can literally carry anything you want to carry. But Mm. even those living in the city still want a pickup truck. Mm. And I guess if you want a car that goes everywhere that's not a pickup truck, you buy a Subaru. Exactly. <laughs> um, there is one thought, though, that I had, uh, which is because Subaru, they've got you know excellent engineering in terms of the differentials, the drivetrain, the, the whole four-wheel drive system, the innovations are there. But when everybody goes electric, it's probably going to be quite hard for them to differentiate themselves because everybody else has a low center of gravity with excellent computer-controlled all-wheel drive. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge. You are very right. Next, moving on, Mazda. Uh, and they've been talking recently about uh, the fact that they are going to be introducing a series of new cars, most specifically the CX-5 as a rear-wheel drive and an Enlightened 6. So what do you think of this, Daniel? I think Mazda is, is one of the most progressive car companies in the world because they are forever thinking ahead of everybody else. And I use this why because you look at this vehicle, you look at the pictures on DSF, while everyone is going taller and more upright, Mazda is still keeping that to that crossover SUV look, but they have lowered the greenhouse, they have lowered the profile of the vehicle. Because why? Yes, at one point, everybody wanted to go as tall as possible, but now everybody wants as sleek as possible. Mm. And Mazda is starting a trend. And you look at this vehicle, it is really good looking, really good looking. It is. It, it certainly is. They mentioned these plans to uh, you know, continue making petrol engines and all yes. this stuff internal combustion engines back in 2019. And we, we talked a little bit about that. Some manufacturers not, you know, putting all their eggs into the EV basket. But having said that, you know, in this 2019 plans, uh, Mazda did say that uh, they are still going to be building some sort of hybrids, some sort of EVs, as well as petrol versions. But the bigger cars, the Mazda 6, CX-5, CX-7, CX-8, these will be mainly rear-wheel drive platforms with two straight-six engines available, either petrol or a diesel. And it's quite weird because, I mean, obviously, Mazda is 
still betting that ICs have kind of like a decade or two left in them, but it's almost kind of a repositioning of their cars in the wider global car market. They're not wrong because if you think about it, okay, now Mazda like Subaru, they're not a huge car manufacturer. They don't have multiple factories around the world. You know, they're very niche. And if you look at their current market uh, uh, penetration around the globe, yes, you know, in US, you have their, they got a fair share of market share. In Europe, they got their fair share. And, you know, of course, you've got all the other European brands and everybody is talking about EV, EV, EV. But in the biggest market in the world, which is Southeast Asia, ASEAN, yep. where they have a very strong foothold, they are growing very fast. Look at how they've grown in Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, and of course, in Australia and New Zealand. These are places where people are still going to have a lot of ice cars because the whole EV culture is not sucked in yet. You get what I mean? Mm. And I don't think it'll happen. That's why, you know, I said like in my lifetime, because why? I don't think the ASEAN is going to be a big EV pit stop in the next 10 years even. Because why? Everyone is talking about it. Everyone is moving in that direction. But it's not easy to get everyone to change to an electric car right away. Because why? Cost, reliability, after sales, charging. Completely agree. Completely agree too. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, this sort of like signals Mazda or exemplifies Mazda's intent to become a more of a premium uh, Mazda premium product. With this six-cylinder engine, they might, you know, command a more premium price, which might see them knock on the doors of Volvo and BMW and Mercedes buyers, which to me, perfectly fine. Super unique car with still a petrol engine that we all still can buy and don't have to upgrade our houses with all of these fancy charges. It's a, it's a good holding point as everybody changes to EV. Indeed. But we have one more car to go through. This is the Hyundai Elantra N. And N, 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 N. N, 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 N. This is the sportiest version of the all-new Hyundai Elantra, which I think I remember we all pretty much like the way it looks, right? I'm in love with this car. <laughs> Rich? <laughs> I like it. Yes, 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 I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with this N performance, uh, it's Hyundai's performance division. And, you know, everybody's expecting this new Elantra to be pretty good because all of the N performance cars have been well-loved by automotive journalists. So with this N performance version, you get quite aggressive looks, somewhat restrained in some ways, despite all of these weird angles. Uh, but the rear end is really the best part. Twin pipes, a strong diffuser, a long, wide light bar, and a low-rise rear wing. It almost looks like, you know, those Renault Megane mm, RS265 yes. cups with those rear wings, all yellow. It's amazing looking. Yes. The, thing, the thing is, if you, if, you go, if you go to DSF right now, we actually shared the video of this car on track and the whole explanation of the car. If you watch the video, which is about seven, eight minutes, this car has got some amazing tech on it. Yeah. And honestly, I think the Germans should be worried. The only thing it doesn't have is that badge branding, you know? Mm. If they call this a baby Genesis, whoa, I tell you, this car will rocket around the world. Mm. Do you guys think it has that invisible touch? Mm. Yes. That was a pun, by the way. A joke, a Genesis joke. <sighs> yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Aren't you, aren't you too young to be making Genesis jokes? Age is just a number, you know? Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, Richard, he's been hanging out too much with us. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the technicals of this Hyundai Elantra make it up to be quite a serious uh, sports saloon because 280 horsepower, almost 400 newton meters of torque. That's Volkswagen Golf R territory. Right. You got 5.3 second sprint and has this hugely technological thing called the N-grid shift. 
The what now? N. Grinchiff. Okay, I just wanted you to say it twice, that was all. It's basically an overboost function, which gives you an extra 10 horsepower. On top of that, stiffened chassis, electronically controlled uh, suspension and differential, wider tire sport seats, fantastic car, put one in my garage right now, especially in the lighter blue. <laughs> I, I think, you know, if it arrives in Malaysia, if it's around 200, 220,000, there will be enough people to buy. Not a huge number of people, mm. but there'll be enough people to buy it. But looking at the tech in this car, I think it'll probably go up to more like 260, 280, you know? Yep, yep. Anyway, let's take a short break, shall we? Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm in the studio, but I'm on the phone lines with Arif Ruse and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, an extended pit stop, as we'll be talking about something to do with the Nissan Skyline. You might have seen it in the news. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm on the phone lines with uh, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, and thank you for having me again. Again. And Arif Ruse, the man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, everybody. This is Cruise Control, that car show. Uh, now, we're into our pit stop right now. And um, over the weekend, the big talk of town amongst Malaysian automotive enthusiasts was a story of a Nissan Skyline GTT, a unique JDM market R34 with a different nose, chunkier tires, a tweaked engine, and its rear wheel drive only. Unfortunately, the story goes that the owner had uh, bought this car passed it to a broker to sort out the paperwork and within the hour found out that his car had been hammered into a tree, was on fire and fully totaled with a damaged chassis, sheared suspension and nothing was salvageable from the rear windows to the front of it. Now, this unfortunate event has raised some questions about brokers, the middleman between you and that person selling you the car. Daniel. Okay, this is a real tragedy because, first of all, Skyline's GTR from this era and era before are all just rising in value to ridiculous levels around the world. But this is not one of those rare cars. Still, it's you know just under 200,000 ringgit for an average model. A uh, souped-up model could be slightly less or slightly more depending on condition. But the thing is now, why we are, we are asking this question is, when people buy cars, a lot of times they don't want to go to JPJ and Puspacom because of certain mm. situations. We shall not talk about it on air. So they <laughs> use a middleman, a broker. These brokers, plenty in Malaysia. I think about four, six, four to five months ago, there was a story which we also carried. A broker was taking a Mercedes AMG for inspection. Yeah. He drove too fast. He rammed straight into a big water pipe, an exposed water pipe, and totaled the car. Now, Things like this have been happening for a long time. Sometimes small, sometimes big. It doesn't get into the news. What gets into the news, we try and share with everybody else. Now, this story became highly publicized because, first of all, a rare car. Number two, the damage is just ridiculous. Number three, again, a broker. Middleman damaged the car even before the owner got a chance to test drive it himself. Now, 
during this lockdown, a lot of people find it difficult to go to JPJ, go to Pushpacom, you know, do a transfer and everything else. These brokers come with all their little laptops and computer devices and their fingerprint scanner. They can do a lot of magic for you. They mm. help a lot of people out. When I use the word help, but it's for a fee. Mm-hmm. The thing is, over the years, there has been this, 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 this situation made up in the industry that, oh, you go to JPJ, uh, you have to line up long time. Uh, you spend um, the whole day there and then uh, got a lot of problems. Now, actually, if you buy a car, which I've done before, if you buy a second-hand car, you go to JPJ, one, one and a half hours, maybe two hours, you know? I was in there for about half an hour, really. Exactly. It depends on the crowd. But, it's, you know, I, I went on a crowded day. It was about one and a half, two hours. And the thing is, Pushpa.com, if it's a, if it's a company uh, uh, lining up at Pushpa.com, it's a bit longer. If it's a commercial vehicle, it's a bit longer. But when it's a private owner like you and me, it's very fast. It's very fast. It's very straightforward. But because this whole, this whole idea of you know has been created that it's going to be a long time. You don't want to go. You better get a broker. So you have plenty of these people in the industry, middlemen, brokers, making a lot of money on every transaction. Yes, they get things done for you, but you have to hand them the keys of your car. I remember some years ago, um, you know, when this tinted glass ruling was very strict. And, mm. and, and I wanted to buy this car and this car had dark tinted. Now they said, oh, you know, if, if you go yourself, they'll have to strip out the tint. But if you use a broker, no need. So I said, okay, no problem. But I want to drive the car there. The broker can follow me. Now, my car wasn't a Nissan Skyline or some expensive exotic car. But still, it's my car. I don't want a third party driving it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the broker told me, he said, well, uh, in that case, uh, you just meet me outside the JPJ. There's one stall there. He gave me the name. You meet me there and then I meet you there and then and then we go in together. No, then I drive your car in. I said, no, no, we go in together. He said, no, no, no. I drive your car in. I said, still, I don't want you driving my car. He said, no, no, no. You can see me because I'll be just outside the gate. So that's what I did. This was some time ago. So I waited at the store. The guy came on his motorbike. He jumped into my car. I said, I want to be able to see you. He said, yeah, you can see me. You can even walk up to the inspection, but don't come and say hello to me. And all this is because of certain adjustments that are being made in the system. You understand what I mean? Yes. Uh, they have to look after certain people. They don't want a third party looking at it. But he just drove my car through the system, went to JPJ. He just said, okay, you wait here. I will go in and queue up for you. He didn't actually queue up. He just raised his hand. The counter person said, come over. He went, pop, pop, pop. While other people were queuing up, we got everything done. We were out of there in less than one hour. Question. Yes. Is this the same way that people buy big engine cars but manage to, you know, pay lower road tax. No, that is, you know, when they do the Sarawak road tax, the Sabah's road tax. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's a totally different story. There, there is nothing really illegal about all this. It's just that they're there to cut the queue for you, you know? Mm. They're there to smoothen out the whole process. They're there to, you know, turn a blind eye to small things like tinted glass and, you know, fancy number plates and things like that. But the thing is, we should stop all this. We should end all this. But it's it's the same like if, for example, uh, the new iPhone is released tomorrow, for example. Okay. You don't want to queue for it. You right. can pay people to queue for you. True. Uh, I see your point. I see your point. Is it much different to that? I mean, it, it, like, like you say, there's nothing illegal in it. it, it yeah. It's that there's a gray market. Somebody is willing to stand in a queue on your behalf. Exactly. Right? And the thing is, you see, if you look at cases like this, sometimes when this happens, the worry is now, has the car got insurance? Uh. Because why? 
The car has not been transferred. Is the old insurance still active? Has the owner, has the previous owner of the car cancelled his insurance? I mean, we don't know the, 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 the full details, but imagine if the insurance is already cancelled and the broker now crashed the car. Who's going to pay for the car? Mm. You can't sue mm. the broker, you know? Mm. Yep. And then what do you want to do? Get some gangsters to go after him? I mean, the only gangster I know is Richard. And, you know, he's too busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, I've been pretty busy recently. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you see, it's, it's such a gray area, but you know, there's a lot of money involved and there's a lot of money being lost. You, you get what I mean? Yeah. And how do we solve this problem? It's very, very difficult. But if, for example, the authority said, okay, now no more brokers coming to JPJ, no more brokers coming to Pushpacom, the owner and the seller must be present. You stop all this. There would be a huge backlash. Yeah. And this is, again, what we call, like like a few weeks ago when you talked about the insurance scams and everything. Else. This is the black mm. economy. And the mm. black economy is thriving in Malaysia because of all this. Mm. So do we get rid of it? Do we reduce it? This is a question I want to ask people out there. Give me your comments. This is not a simple question answer, is it? I mean, yes, it is. if we look at the way... Oh, I could get myself into trouble here, so I have to be very <laughs> careful how I speak. Very careful. If we look at the way in which some parts of the Malaysian economy work, um, if we were to kind of stop these gray areas uh, or the black economy or whatever you want to call it, a lot of the economy would grind to a halt. That's very true. But you see, these are people doing a job. They're doing a job. They're earning money. Mm. But is it right? I'm not saying it's it's really wrong. Morally, no, it's not right, is it? Yeah. At the end of the day, you're only doing it to make a quick buck, isn't yes. it? It's mm-hmm. not. Um, it's nothing sustainable about it. Yes. Nothing. It's it's something simple that turns out to be more complicated than it is. Anyway, but you're right, though. Let's ask people what they think about it. Yeah, I think people should should write in and and give their comments. Yeah. Uh, of course, we are going to get negative comments from people in the industry doing this. Get them to write in on the uh, Instagram page, uh, uh, Arif. Yes. Yes, at BFM Cruise Control is the Instagram page, or you can actually just email us. Like Rich said. Some people could say it's alleged that this thing <laughs> is plaguing the national economy. Yes, well skirted. Let's let's wait for the for the for the listeners to write in and, and see what happens, and maybe we can continue this discussion next week. Maybe so. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to disappear and let you guys fight it out. Okay, Richard. Thank you. Once you get those messages, I, I have to leave now, guys. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, um, but you've got a used car review coming up after the break, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. My name is Arif Roos, in place of Richard Bradby, who just had to go. But, as usual, on the phone lines with me is Mr. Daniel Fernandez. Say hello. Hello, Arif, and uh, thanks, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) 
he's gone off to do his, uh, you know take care of his uh, quote unquote business at the moment right uh, but uh, if you miss any part of the first two parts of the show uh, quite an interesting conversation something you should look at Goodwood Festival of Speed that's something really really cool if you are into cars or curious about cars spoke about Subaru's production milestone 20 million all wheel drives as well as Mazda's new CX-5 which apparently will be a real wheel drive with an inline 6 and then N and Hyundai Elantra. The N Hyundai Elantra. Yes, and uh, previously, before this part, uh, we had a pretty ser- serious conversation with a few questions about, you know, brokers and whether we actually need them. And obviously, it's a very tricky subject. So we urge you to write in with your opinions to us at BFM, or you can tweet to us at BFM Radio, or visit us on our Instagram at BFM Cruise Control, or you could just go right ahead to the source and email Daniel or visit his website at dsf.my. Very true. But. Um, we have a car review. We have a used car review at the moment, and it's of a very, very popular car, one that I see often in my office parking lot because the biggest boss, she drives one of these, is the Volkswagen Golf GTI Mark VI. And it's a pretty interesting car, isn't it, Daniel? It is a very interesting car, and I think some weeks ago, someone actually wrote in and asked us to actually do a review or suggest buying a used Mark VI Golf GTI. So... After that, we just, you know, I started doing a little bit of research. And, and for me, it's very easy because I have owned a lot of Volkswagens in the past and currently do. So, mm. I, you know, my, I, I do have a Mark V GTI in my house right now. And then, you know, getting to a Mark VI, when I still remember when the car was first launched, I thought to myself, yeah, you know, maybe it's time to, to trade up the Mark V to a Mark VI. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I went for the overseas uh, unveiling of the car, test drive, came back very impressed because... When you, when you go from a Mark V to a Mark VI, uh, in terms of shape, it's not a big difference because it's just like, you know, they they, they, they sharpened all the edges up, you know. They did a Volkswagen, yes. basically. They, they did like what Porsche does, you know, just tweak, tweak the design. But the biggest changes inside between the Mark V and the Mark VI, the difference in the interior is night and day, really night and day. In terms of quality? Uh Quality, almost night and day. I mean, they did a big improvement, but the biggest difference was the look, the feel, the functionality. You have adaptive suspension. You've got a nicer feel steering wheel. You've got, you, you got, you got, you got more bright lights on the interior. You know, more, it's more attractive, you know? Yep. Nicer roof lining, nicer pillars, uh, door cards, everything. You see, because when the Mark V was developed, it was, I would say, the most amazing Volkswagen after... So many boring, like the Mark III and Mark IV were quite boring, you know? Yeah, they, they did say that about the Volkswagen Golf, actually. The only yeah. real, really, really good ones, the groundbreaking ones, were the 1 and 5, weren't they? Actually, the Mark II was the best. Right. I own the Mark II. I, I own two different Mark IIs, and I can tell you this. The Mark II 8-Valve and the Mark II 16-Valve, both cars which I've owned, were amazing cars. I have a huge regret for selling them, <laughs> but you know what to do. And you know, when you get the Mark III and Mark IV, then you realize the Mark II is still better, you know? <laughs> it's only with the Mark V that you say, okay, yes, now they've come up with the car. Of course, turbocharged engine, bigger bigger cabin, uh, better handling and everything else. And over the years, you'll notice that a lot of Mark V Golf owners yep. are also Porsche owners. Mm, interesting observation. Yes, because the Porsche is the, the car they, they, they love. But, you know, as a daily driver, if they want something as fast, as good, handles as well and as exciting... They all get a Mark V. So when the Mark VI came out, it was Volkswagen's answer to all those people with the Mark V 
who were unhappy with little things on the interior, you know, the cabin quality, a little bit of, uh, you know, plastics that didn't work well and everything like that. But also it was time for people to trade up. Because why? The Mark VI was slightly faster. Not a lot faster, just slightly faster. Yeah. But they were also telling people, you know, after five years, here's a new car. Come on, you know, change, you know. <laughs> give give some poorer sort the ability to buy a cheap Mark V, you know. <laughs> so this Mark VI was a very, very nice car. And here's the best part. Volkswagen in Malaysia sold hundreds of these cars. They were so popular. They were just slightly above 200,000 ringgit, Okay. Mm. It wasn't very expensive. It was far cheaper than a BM3 series or a Mercedes A-Class. But they did not have the brand image. You know, Volkswagen wasn't the, the brand image for Malaysia. I would have thought there would be a lot of, or, or there would have been a lot of Volkswagen loyalists. Yes, there was. But there was not enough to, to counter what Mercedes and BMW had, you know? Right, right, right. But with the Mark VI, over the years with the Mark VI, and, and even, you know, with the, with the R version coming out, more and more people started trading their Mercedes and BMWs for a Golf. I know some people who did that and they were never, ever disappointed. They never regretted and all that. Yeah. But as the ownership continued, this was the problem after sales. <laughs> it's, a, it's a subject that we have touched on many, many times yes. on this show. And I think one can be attributed to the famous DSG gearbox, right? Yes, it was the DSG gearbox. But it was also a lot of other things which at that time Volkswagen Malaysia were not addressing because they kept denying the fact that our cars had any problems. But anyway, we put all that aside. We're not talking about Volkswagen Malaysia or their after sales or their warranty program. We are talking about the product. So now yeah. this used Volkswagen Mark VI, the price has become so attractive, it is so hard to say no to. What are they going for? Okay, if you go on the classifieds, because this car was on sale for about five, six years, the prices can be as low as 58, 59,000 to as high as 100,000. That's quite a range. <laughs> yes, because you see, if you look at the later part of the cars, the later part of the year, that means just before the Mark VII came out, those are still about 110, 120. Price higher because of the age, I guess. Because of the age. And also, you know, you're not that old. You still can get a, a, a decent loan. Interest rates will not be so high. But if you're looking at, a, at the first few years, okay, which means the car is already 12, 13 years old, you're looking at about 58 to about 62,000, which is still not bad because you think about it. You're getting a, an imported German car, which the previous owner or owners some of them would have had one or two owners, have done all the rectifications. You know what I mean? Mm. Okay. Mm. Whatever there was issues with the DSG would have been sorted out. Whatever issues you had with the TSI engine would have been sorted out. The water pump issue, the aircon issue, the compressor issue, uh, you know, the 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 the, the you know, this car had a very famous issue with the central locking and the power windows, you know? <laughs> really? Yeah, but over over some time, you know what I mean? And they're not really cheap to, to repair. So all that issues would have been solved. The radio system, the Dyna audio radio system does not last. Sadly, it does not last. Good quality, easy to use, but does not last. So a lot of people would have either changed to a newer one or bought an aftermarket. And the thing is, the aftermarket units that come out of China look and feel exactly the same, but have more functions on them. There are some of those that, that sort of like add YouTube. They even have uh, movie functionalities yeah, right yeah, nowadays. Yeah. Apple CarPlay. Yes, and they fit perfectly because why? Volkswagen is, is huge in China, you know? So these cars sell like hotcakes in China. So of course, 
The aftermarket industry in China has so many items for them. And by now, all the little plastic bits that have become sticky and you know have, have disappeared, the writing have disappeared, it's easy to change. You can go on Lazada, you can go on Shopee. From China, you can buy all these little plastic bits for just a few hundred ringgit. Hmm. Even with my Mark V, I've changed most of the plastic bits. Didn't even cost me 500 ringgit. So you can actually refurbish this interior to look almost like new. And if you get a car which did not come with leather seats, not hard to find because, not easy to find because most of them had leather seats, you'll notice that the, 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 the tartan seats, yep. they last a long time. They are hard wearing. And the tartan seats are a pinnacle part of a Volkswagen Golf GTI, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Like, like my Mark V has got tartan seats and I love it. And the car is 15 years old and the seats look just like new. But with the leather seats, they start to wear, they got cracks in this and all that. But to refurbish them, it's not expensive, especially in today's market. No? So you can get a car for around 58 to 60 odd thousand. You spend a bit of money refurbishing if the previous owner has not done it. And you'll get a car that will drive nicely. It's fast. You know, if it's not been tuned, it's even better. 207 brake horsepower, 280 newton meters of torque. Now that's a lot of power because when you get into this car and then you drive it, even though it says 207 brake horsepower, it feels 250. Yep. The mid-range torque at third gear or fourth gear, it says 280, but it feels like it's 330. I have driven Mark 6s in Malaysia, friends' cars, not tuned. I've been able to chase some supercars and keep up, you know? Yep. And that yep. angers a lot of supercar owners. There are a lot of uh, Mark Six GTIs out there in the market, and you mentioned that you know some of them came with tartan seats, some of them came with leather seats, and then some of them the head units have broken and been replaced. Are these you know? I mean, it's one of those cars which fall into the category of people are moving up. They want to modify these cars. They want to put their own spin onto things, and some people might be afraid of that. What are the specifications that you should be looking for when you want to buy a Volkswagen Golf GTI? Okay, number one. First of all, like I always say with used cars, check the service history. On a car like this, it's very easy to check the service history. I've, I've listed down the things to look out for, you know. Now, like what I mentioned before, you know, air, comp uh, air con compressor, power window, central locking, gearbox issues, TSI issues, oil pump issues, all this. Even the turbocharger leaks a little bit of oil. If all this have been addressed over the years, which previous owners would have done, if not, the car will not be running nicely. Mm. He has saved you a lot of trouble. If all this has been done, life will be very good, honestly. Because why? You can actually straight away take ownership of this car. And if even better if it's completely stock standard. Because why? If the car is stock standard, that means the car has not been abused. And the great thing about Golf GTIs is a lot of the first and second owners are actually family people. They're actually people who are in charge of radio stations like your boss. <laughs> you <know>? Yes. <laughs> yes. And... They are not people who trash the cars, you know? Sensible drivers. Sensible drivers who just love the cars and they just want to yeah. keep maintaining it and keeping them. Like I know your boss, she loves the car. You know, she mm -hmm. just wants to keep maintaining it and running it, make sure it doesn't, doesn't fail her. So if you find a car like that for sale, even if you have to pay a little bit more, 64, 65,000 ringgit, it's okay because why? You can take it. There are so many tuning shops out there. I know a few reliable ones. When I say reliable means you have to play within a certain range. Now, a car like this, there are people who, who bring it up to 350 horses, 400 horses. But let me tell you this. Don't do that. These are the cars that are going to give you non-stop problems. Because why? You may boost it up to 350 horses. 
but can you boost all the other mechanicals around it to accept that kind of power? Mm-hmm. So the best, yeah. So the best thing to do, like what I did with my Mark V, is boost it up to about, you know, they call it stage two, which is about three, sorry, about two forty, two sixty brake horsepower, more than enough. That's a fast Mark V you got there, man. Yes, and then when it comes to when it comes to torque, don't go more than three hundred and fifty. Now the regular torque for this car is about two eighty. Now two eighty is already a lot. Like I told you, you can chase down a lot of supercars. If you go up to about three thirty, three twenty. You are also, you're, you're you're already in the in the in the happy zone. Three fifty is the max. That's that's my opinion. Have there been a lot of uh, manual GTIs? No, very 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 few. I'm lucky enough to own a manual. So I guess you know it's a unicorn if you manage to find a manual one for a reasonable price. Yes, finding a Mark Six manual, I think, is almost impossible. I only know of one. I've only heard of one. But doesn't matter. The, the automatic is good. The DSG is fine because, like I said, the previous owner or owners would have solved that problem out. So you can live with this DSG. The, the only problem with the DSG, you must remember, no matter how well maintained it is, don't follow the current servicing schedule. For example, you know they always tell you, oh, you know, after so many kilometers, you change the oil. Now let's be frank, like, You know. Yep. I use synthetic oil, so they say you can go up to ten thousand kilometers. I don't wait to ten thousand. Six, seven thousand, I change. Same. <laughs> don't don't be silly about it because you're not saving all that much money. Servicing a car only costs, you know, with with the oil filter and the labor and everything, less than five hundred ringgit. Think about it. You're only spending it maybe what once a year, once every six months, and you're driving a premium car. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with the DSG, the gearbox, the lubricant and filter, a lot of them say, oh, seventy thousand, you can change. Seventy-five thousand can change. No, forty, forty-five thousand go and change. Why? Because we are in a hot weather country. We are in a humid weather condition. We don't want to overstrain this gearbox, you know? Yep. Because it's changing so fast, it's working so fast. And you know, people who drive these cars, they're not pottering around town. They're really driving it. Mm-hmm. So you're going to generate a lot of heat. There is nothing wrong in making that filter and lubricant change every 40 to 45,000 kilometers, which means probably once in two to three years. How much can it cost you, right? Exactly. Now, when everything else goes wrong, which is wear and tear, don't go back to the Volkswagen service center. They are expensive. They have to pay their overheads. They have to pay their fancy salaries. They have to send money back to their home country. There are so many good aftermarket workshops out there right now who specialize in Volkswagen and Audi vehicles. Even those who do Audi, Volkswagen, Porsche, you know, you know the Volkswagen group of vehicles, yep. maintaining this car is not difficult. And I'm going to a guy who's not even a Volkswagen group specialist. He's just a very good mechanic and he has maintained my car all this while without any problems. Final word, Daniel, on this car for prospective buyers who maybe are looking for something quite entertaining for about this 60 to 70,000, 80,000 price. I'm saying, you know, if you find one that is stock standard, everything original, original wheels, original suspension, original engine, you got a full service record, if you're paying up to even 65 or even 70,000 ringgit, buy it. Don't think twice. Buy it because you will enjoy this car for another five years, especially in this economic climate. Why bother about buying a new car and losing so much money on depreciation? If you look at the Mark V GTI prices today, they're about 30 to 45,000 ringgit. So if you buy a car for 60 to 70,000 ringgit, you're only going to lose another 30,000 in the next three, four years. You know? 
or even longer. Or even longer. So, you know, you're not going to lose that much. If you buy a brand new car for, say, 200,000, you're going to lose 100,000 in the same time. As soon as it's out of the showroom. Yeah, and it's a fun car and it's still a good-looking car. Icon of the world. Yes. Anyway, thank you very much for that awesome detailed review of used car review of the Mark VI Volkswagen Golf GTI. They're worth about fifty to about 100000 depending on, on the year of the car. But as Daniel mentioned, you know, it's a fantastic car and something you shouldn't think twice about. Yes, totally agree. As usual, you can find the article and some links on Daniel's website, dsf.my, about this used Mark VI Volkswagen Golf GTI. If you've missed any part of the show, you can download this podcast on bfm.my or any podcast apps that you have, including Spotify. Part one of this show, we spoke about the Goodwood Festival of Speed, 20 million Subaru all-wheel drive cars, some really fast Mazdas coming up in the next few years. In part two, we spoke about middlemen and brokers. That's an interesting question that you should probably rewind a little bit and pitch in with your opinions on the matter. Should they exist? They kind of have a right to, but is it morally correct? We don't really know. Anyway, my name is Zarif Roos and Daniel Fernandez. Goodbye and thank you for listening in. We'll see you same time, same place next week on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.